Hello and welcome to today's Insi My Podcast. Derek Chester Brown, along with his wife Heidi, lead Lighthouse Church in Secunda, South Africa. On today's podcast, Derek will be sharing on the subject of transition that triumphs, which he shared at a recent church planters and lead elders training week. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more resources like this, go to ncmi.net. Uh, thank you for that hearty applause. I appreciate it so much. I can feel the Spirit of God is in you. Uh, it's so cool that they let me share. Thank you, Nick, for the introduction. I, uh, I'm always concerned when they let me share because I'm terrified one of you think that I know what I'm doing. <laughs> when in actual fact, I'm just here this evening hoping to inspire you that you'll lean over to your wife this evening and go, Boki, if he can do it, I can do it. That's the kind of idea. Some of you are, who lead churches over here? If you could just raise your hand. I know you're tired, you lead a church. Can you just raise your hand quickly if you lead a church? Put it up, yeah. All right. Don't quit. Don't quit. Statistically, 56% of all lead pastors will quit. I'm telling you, don't quit. We get to do the most extraordinary work. Who's Who's on eldership? Who aspires to be on eldership? I'm going to get you to raise your hand at some stage. So don't, don't come and sit there thinking I'm going to just sit here. If at some stage you've got no reason to raise your hand, why are you here? You should have come here for some reason more than you've got nothing else better to do on a Monday night. You see, the church is the most amazing organization in the galaxy. The church is the only organization that takes care of the poor that feeds widows and orphans. It's the, it's the greatest organization that God has commissioned that we get to bless everyone that we encounter. We love the world despite their mess. We get to look after the people that nobody else wants. The church is the most exciting group of people to ever be part of. We're the only ones that can heal people. We're the only ones that can bring the gospel of Jesus. We're the, we are every recruitment agency's dream. We've got CVs stored with every person that's ever come to us that doesn't have a job. And we take these CVs and we look after it and cherish it. Because we don't just pray for people to get jobs. We take these CVs and we give it to the recruitment agencies. And because we love people and we know what's happening in their lives, that's what we get to do. We get to have food banks, soup kitchens, homeless shelters, drug rehabs. We get to take the heroin addict and allow him to fulfill his destiny. That's the church. If that's not your church, transition into one that is. I'll pray. I'm going to pray for you. Just so that you make it. I see some of you are shell-shocked. You're thinking, no, they're joking. It can't be him for the whole night. (laughs) We'll pray for you at the end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, help them. Lord, help them to hear what you're saying. Help me to say what you want me to say. Lord, I pray that this evening we'll tap into the riches of heaven. We'll we'll tap into your spirit, Lord God, in a way like we've never done before. Lord, I pray that where apathy has crept in, you'll incinerate that slapchatness out of us. And you'll start stirring us to be the, the ones that you've called us to be. Lord, I pray for those that have accidentally come in this evening, not even sure why, that they will have something of a commissioning take place this evening. 
Lord, I pray that this evening, whoever's listening, Lord, perhaps they feel like they've been sidelined. Lord, I pray that this evening they'll be pulled into the game that you've got for them. Lord, it's not going to be my, my might or my power, but I'm trusting it'll be by your spirit. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I was a bit serious in the beginning, but I'm going to be like that for the rest of the time. We all lead the church. We're all part of church leadership. It's the, it's the 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. Follow me as I follow Christ. It's the perpetual leadership. You're all leading someone. At very least, you're leading yourself. When Paul wrote this saying, follow me as I follow Christ. Can your friends say, I can follow, you put your name in that place. I can follow them because I know that they'll lead me closer to Jesus. See, that's the reality, friends. We have to have people look at us and go, I know Jesus better because I know Derek. I can see Jesus working because I know Derek. And often they're going to go, I see the other enemy camp operating sometimes in Derek. But 90% of the time I can see evidence of the goodness of Jesus through what Derek says, what he does, the way he leads his family, the way he loves others. That has to be the testimony of Jesus Christ in our lives. We have to look different. We have to be different. If Jesus is leading you, you need to be on fire. You need to be willing to die for this thing. I'm saying you've got to be so born again, you've got to even think tithing is normal. No, no, I've dealt with those folk. I'll give my life for Jesus. 10% of your income. That's law. And I'm going to speak about your money this evening. I'm going to touch on a few little holy things. I'm going to speak about your money. I'm going to speak about your sex lives. I'm going to speak about your children. Not the children. You see, growth produces transitions and transitioning well produces growth. When I speak about transitioning, there are a whole lot of church planters here. And church planting, when you speak about transitioning, is taking over leadership from one leader, being handed over to another eldership couple as they lead. But you can transition life group leadership. You can transition in married life from one level to the next. You can transition. So for men to understand this, you get married, you transition from towel on the floor, toilet seat up, to towel on the bed, toilet seat down, to eventually towel on the door. And then I hear there's a rail. I'm, I'm going to ultimately transition to the rail. I've been married for 25 years and I hear about the rail. You're always transitioning. You're going to move from one season in your life to another. You can never stagnate. You can never get stuck where you are. So I'm going to be targeting church planters, ministry transitions, one eldership couple leading to another eldership couple leading. Uh, we, we were privileged to have that opportunity after being saved for three years. They, Marcus kicked us out of Cornerstone. He said, enough. There's only so much I can do with you. Go to Secunda. And uh, the church was in trouble. And they just said, how much damage could you possibly do? And they, they sent us and... I'm going to be sharing a bit of my story wrapped up in a, in a whole lot of stuff that's Derekisms. If I offend you, I'm so terribly sorry. I'm trusting that if I do offend you through prayer, fasting, and meditation, you too will recover. <laughs> so some of you may have heard, if you've heard me preach before, 
You may have heard some of my stories. I'm sharing my stories this evening about transitioning and how it works to just things we did wrong. I mean, we did weird stuff and then it works and then we did things perfectly and it bombed out. That's what, that's what happens in life. That's what's going to happen in ministry. But there's something about transitioning. I call it the toasted butter and jam problem. You see, have you ever gone and opened up a tub of butter and somebody who knows nothing about fat spread etiquette has gone and put jam residue in the butter. And then there's toast in there as well. You know, you can feel it. You can picture it. It's like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You start doubting whether you should have had children in the first place. Or you see that somebody, instead of taking the butter off the top evenly, and I'm not OCD, I'm just, don't mess. They scoop it in as if they have hatred for it. And, and they, they massacre this thing. And you have residue of jam and toast and it's all mixed in. You see, what I'm trying to bring across with that is, do not let what you've done in the past contaminate what you want God to do with you in the future. Don't bring your toast from last year. Don't burn, bring your burnt remnants from last year into the season now. Don't bring your junk. Deal with stuff. You have to deal with stuff. If you think that I've got a problem in my church, you know, my, my, my lead elder, he doesn't get me. He doesn't understand me. If I could just lead, everything would be better. Yeah. So go and plant. And then when, there's, when we see the smoke rising over the hills, we'll send some apostolic team guys to come and pray with you to bring you back into the, the fold because that's what's going to happen. Isaiah 54, verse 2, enlarge the place of your tent. We love this. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your inhabitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. You know what I love about this text? It never says get new fabric and add on. It says what you've got is going to be stretched. What you're going into the season with, that's going to be stretched. Your finances are going to be stretched. Your marriage is going to be stretched. Your relationships, stretched. Your family, is going to be stretched. Whatever you have, is going to be? There we go. Your health is going to be stretched. Now I know there are people sitting here going, I've got this. I've got it. I'm just doing this church planters training. I'm just going to, I've got this. I know what I'm going to do. Let me just, let me loose and I will show the world. God bless you. Please write a book. I promise you, send it to me for free. I'll probably read it. But if you can bear with me just a little bit so we can look at whatever you're going into your season with, it's going to be stretched and tugged on and molded into shapes you never thought possible. Then one day I'll read your book as well. So some transitioning principles. The 81,000 principle. The 80, not 80,000, the 80, 1,000 principle. What you will learn is this. Do not do with 80 that which you cannot do with 1,000. Develop strategies, whether it's in your life group, in your church, and I'm not saying that you must have a life group of 80. I'm saying don't do with the small what you cannot do with the big. And this is an, an idea. 
that I've really looked at because this is the challenge. You decide, and there's some churches that do this, bless them. I'm saying this is a personal story for me. I cannot wish every person happy birthday on a Sunday morning. When there are 20 people in the church, I can. When there are 80 people in the church, I can just about do it. I don't want to Betsy, happy birthday, stand. How oh, wonderful. Una one, hey, hey. una two, hey, hey. una three, hey, hey. by the time it's una 97, Tony Betsy wants to sleep. And then we've got to get to the next person. Now you can get away with that perhaps when you have 80 people in the church, but when you have 1,000, just on average, with 50 weeks in the year, I know there are 50 people, but 50 weeks in the year, that's 20 people that you've got to work una one, una two, una three, four. It doesn't work. The way you take up tithes and offerings, the way you do communion, the way you do life, the way you do fellowship, if you can't do it with a thousand, to do it with the 80 is going to create challenges later in life because people are going to say, oh, he's changed. Oh, this church isn't what it used to be. The leader has gone to his head. You see, it's going to be stretched. So when Haley and I first transitioned the church, there were about 26 people in it. And when we got to the 100 mark, we didn't know where God was going to take us next because obviously revival had come. Secunda will be saved. I could, in my mind, I'm Reinhard Bonnke declaring life over Secunda. There's a hundred. And in those days, we'd invite every single visitor for a meal in our house. We'd connect with every single one and then we'd follow up and we'd follow up. And then when we got to the 250 mark, all of a sudden, I couldn't do that anymore. It was going to kill me. And then I had people leave because they said, now you see, growth has gone to his head. Literally, I just couldn't get to everyone. And I said, growth has gone to his head, and then people will leave. Do not do with the 80 that you cannot do with 1,000. If you think, oh, I can, do it. Do it. It's wonderful. Good today must be great next week. I'm not saying pursue perfection, but pursue excellence. A friend of mine told me a story he said they had a beautiful pulpit and uh, something happened and the one little leg broke off. Obviously a little ball and claw effect. It broke off. So they quickly put a brick under there. And then after a month, Tani Betty went and you know, crocheted a little cover for the brick because <laughs> it is most not that pretty anymore. And, and then... They put it there. Then the cover got worn, and one of the guys had a fabric business making tents as well. So they made a nice tent cover for it. And they had to put a bit of rubber on the one side because it was being worn away. After five years, that pulpit moved, and then they moved the brick. I reckon the brick was already saved by the time they had to get rid of it. So you might think, what's that got to do with it? When people walk into your life group and the place is a mess, they feel that you're not welcoming them. When they walk into the church and it's dirty and it's untidy, maybe the chair's being skewed, it doesn't bother you. But every person that has standards, we call standards these days OCD, every person with standards is looking and going, it's messing with their mind, nothing lines up. You go, well, the sound has a bit of a crackle on it, but your sound is more like a cereal with a snap, a crackle, and a pop. People will get frustrated with it. We're not there to entertain people, but if we're going to represent a kingdom where the streets are paved with gold and it's a standard of excellence, we need to have a standard of excellence that represents the kingdom. It's not what you can get away with. 
is how we represent the kingdom. And I'm telling you, I understand budgets, I get all of that. We started off as low as we could. We, we started off with a life group. And, and we made crazy mistakes. But I want to encourage you, never, ever, ever go, that was good enough. And never, ever go, well, we've got to do it perfectly. Both will create chaos in your lives. But do it well. When you present something, present it well. And you go, I don't want to, I don't want to give it all away, but what if a guy walks in, hates church, I hate a church, and the sound's crackling, and every two minutes the guy's going, hello, hello, and the brick is cracked now because it's so old, and the stage is skewed, and the chairs are warped, and every single chair is a different color. And then the guy gets on and talks about this victorious army and the, the bride of Christ that he's getting ready to present blemish free. And the visitor looks around and goes, well, Jesus will not be coming back very soon. <laughs> it has zero to do with perfection, but pursuing excellence. What, what you represent is more important than you. And it can be the small things that trip you up, but make sure that what is good this week is great next week. And it's not to put pressure on future staff, but we had a, we, when we ran a life group when we were in Cornerstone. And uh, we, we had one family that they offered to lead the life group, or host the life group at their house. And we couldn't do that because our, their, their cats were everywhere. And I think they only had two, but when a cat's allowed to be everywhere, they, they're everywhere. The dogs were allowed on the table. So you'd walk in there and you, you could smell that there was a petting zoo. And you'd leave covered. You'd, you'd be covered in hair. You'd be warmer. <laughs> purely based on the volume of fur you had on. And he'd say to me constantly, we can ha have life group at my house. I'm going, I'm fine. And we had a, such a small house. We, you know, the, the lounge, the dining room, the kitchen, the scullery was basically a garage. And we'd fit 24 people in there. And he had a much bigger house. But it, it came with stuff. I didn't want to have life groups. I didn't want to be there. Love the guy dearly. Didn't have the heart to him. Said, dude, burn it down. Start over. Do not allow, don't get that. <clears throat> I'll share this with you quickly. I'll go and visit. Uh, I love pets, by the way. I have pets. Animals are great. Yay. And, uh, but I go visit this family. And so we go visit them. And I'm sitting there in their lounge, and this little Yorkshire Terrier, you know what a Yorkshire Terrier is? It's hair. And this, this little dog runs in, and it looks at me, and I look at it, and I can feel it's challenging me. But I, I leave it, it's fine. And it, it, it jumps on the couch next to me, and the, the couple, they're busy making coffee for us. The next dog runs in, he doesn't even slow down. He comes in on the couch, I'm so glad Heidi was there and she's here with us this evening to it. The dog on the back of the seat sits on my head. Now, I don't know if you thought I was some form of egg that he had to keep warm, hoping something would hatch. I don't know. Dog sits on my head. I'm stunned. And the owner of the pets in the house walks in, looks at me. She smiles, puts the coffee down and sits down. It's, I just did this. <laughs> then all of a sudden, kumbraki, kumbraki, and 
whatever you do, do it with excellence. Um, your children, I want to move quickly. Your children will set the standard. In your life group, if you lead a life group, your kids are, are going to set the standard on how all the kids are going to behave. You lead a church, your children are going to set the standard. Now I know your children are so well behaved because they've met Jesus, they walk with him, and they're perfect. They don't even touch the ground. They just kind of hover <laughs> as they move. But your children will set the standard. If you're going to lead a church and you're busy praying for people and your children decide that as this person who's absolutely broken, encountering the Holy Spirit and you're trusting for inner healing to take place and you're busy praying for them in the front and your kid decides to do a reenactment of Jurassic Park, ah, yeah, next, it's unhelpful. Now you cannot go and have other kids doing it when your kids are doing it and somehow get upset with those kids. Allow your children to set the standard. Now you're going to be like, yes, the guy hates animals and he hates kids. No, I love kids. I love children. I battle with some people's parenting skills, but kids are awesome. Many years ago, I was preaching. We used to meet in the school hall, and I'm on the stage. And as I'm preaching, there's this kid in the second row. And he's sitting on his mom's lap, and he was about five, and he's hitting his mom. Now, I'm, I'm trying not to be distracted, but he's, he's hitting her, and she's just sitting there. So I'm going, okay, somebody's abusing the mom. We'll get to the bottom of this, but this is a problem right now. So I stop my sermon. And I go, guys, let's just pray. Let's just all bow our heads in this moment of holiness. I don't know where I was in my sermon. No one. And I said, let's just pray really quickly. And as everyone closes their eyes, I just went, and my wife, Heidi, she kept her eyes open. Let's close our eyes and pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we just thank you for, for your goodness, your kind. Just while our eyes are closed, we know, Lord God, that you have got a plan. Lord, we just pray that you bless the rest of this service. In Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone like, amen. There were not two people in the back, you know, with kids. They're standing there. They're hosing themselves. I don't care. Heidi stands up very politely. She smiles, looks at me, <laughs> goes and takes the kid out and sorts it out. My kids are, well, you're going to have, your kids are going to set the standard. And you've got to look at Noah. Noah. Noah's kids are the biggest disaster as far as I'm concerned. All he taught them was how to build. They never taught Noah never taught his kids how to listen to God. So Noah taught his kids how to build. What did the generations build? The Tower of Babel, which causes chaos in man. All he did was teach them how to build. You've got to teach your kids how to build church with you, whether it's life group, whether it's church, in family. Teach, take your kids on the journey with you. Who, who have well, who's got well-behaved kids here? Get your finances in order. And this goes for all Christians. Get your finances in order. Deal with your finances. Make sure you're generous. Be ridiculously generous, please. Whether you lead a church, transition a church, if you got born again tonight, because I've got to get you saved by the end of this meeting, be generous with your finances. Generosity is the easiest way to deal with a love of money. You want to know if you have a love of money? 
Show me your generosity and I'll tell you where you stand. So I have a a principle. Tithe on what you need. Sow into what you want to harvest. Tithe on what you need. To tithe on what you earn requires zero faith. Zero faith. You earn earn 10 grand, you tithe 1,000. That's not faith anywhere. That's straightforward. Well done. You are no longer a thief. You no longer rob God. Yay. When you say, I need 20 grand within my budget, I need 30 grand within my church budget, I will tithe on what I need because you see, I'm going to live in the place where I declare things that haven't happened to start happening already. That's faith. You mean it's not 10%? No, friends, it's building kingdom. I want to encourage you, you all plot, every one of you, you are part of a church plant. You're part of a church plant. It might be a 20-year-old plant. It might be a two-year-old plant. It might be a one-year-old transition. However you treat your finances, the rest of the church will treat the finances the same way. To tithe on the bare minimum, that, that, that shows no faith. I can honestly say, my my family, we have never tithed on what we earn because we'd never make it. I tithe on what I need because I have faith that God is going to carry us. There's one month that I said to Heidi, I understand you're the financial chick, but I want to run the finances. I'm the man. And we had so much more money that month. (laughs) Way more money. There were a lot of accounts we had to pay double the next month because I was unaware of them. That month I forgot to tithe because I said to Heidi, when do you normally tithe? She goes, it's the first thing that goes out the bank. I go, that's a good principle. I haven't done that. We don't have money now. What do we do? So I'm not giving this as advice. I went and took a loan from the company. I said, I'll take a loan because I'm not going to rob God. I'd rather put myself under pressure than rob God. When we got born again, we went broke because of the lifestyle that we had. I didn't have an income. Another church was feeding us. This church gave us a bag of potatoes. It is the only food my family and I had. We counted out the potatoes. There were 18 potatoes. I took two potatoes and I brought them out to the kitchen. They're like, it's cool, you can keep it. I said, I'm tithing. I've got, I've got 18 potatoes. We're not going to cut the one into eights. Yeah, here's my two potatoes. I can promise you one thing I've never wanted for anything in my born again life. Get your finances right. It's going to be stretched. Your faith will be stretched and sow into what you want to harvest. Tithing blesses the soil. Sowing puts seed in the ground for something to grow. Be generous. Be kind. Look after people. Love them. Honor your mother and father. Honor your spiritual mother and father. Just a personal thing for me. I honor my spiritual mother and father and I have a few because there are a few people that have helped me grow in life. There's no, there's no better way to honor someone than financially. It's not the only way. Is this good? You, you're, you're alive? Am I challenging you on some level? Well, I can up it. Ooh, we're brave. Somebody had coffee. 
Too often we think in our churches, if I had another elder, if I had another staff member, if I had another 200 people join, if I had more tithers, if I had that, then church would be better. I'm telling you, go recklessly and be generous with finances and you'll see something of heaven touch down and provide in supernatural ways, in crazy ways. We, we, we speak personal testimony. We have pushed boundaries. I know some of you over here, I know you've pushed boundaries with finances. My finance team have been saying to me for the last 10 years, nothing you do makes sense. It's as though you're intentionally trying to bankrupt the church and you've challenged God to a duel. And God wins every time. It's, 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 it's crazy. Start pushing boundaries with your finances, no matter what you're transitioning. We have to think like a farmer. Please don't think like a businessman. A businessman says, invest and get a return. A farmer says, sow and get a harvest. Sow with the intention of harvesting. Give money with the intention of harvesting. Find a ministry that you admire, that you can recognize the call of God, sow financially into that ministry. Put money in. Not, you know, I'll pray for them. Pray for them. Honor them with your finances. Be generous to people. It reveals where your heart is. If you cannot be generous in the church that you're at, do not ever expect people to be generous in whatever ministry you're in. It'll be tough. Change is good, change is not easy. Change is good, but it's not easy. So when you, and I mentioned this to the church planters earlier, when you, if you transition anything, whether you transition a church or a life group, change as little as possible in the beginning. When you transition a church, please don't go change the name immediately. Changing the name doesn't change anything initially. Ask everyone who lives in PE. Abecha. Abecha. Yes. I want to go visit Queen Kabecha. When are you going to change things? Make sure it still represents the culture of the church. Make sure if you change something, it represents the life group that you led before, the people you've taken over. Make sure it represents them because the reality is this. If you go and change everything as you step in, what happens is you dishonor the people you've taken over from. My, my, when my daughter got married, I think four years ago, and her surname changed. My surname is Chester Brown. Can't get more blue blood than that. I mean, it's double-barreled with a color in it. I mean, it's phenomenal. <laughs> and it changed to Williams. As simple as that. I, for me, I felt it. I'm like, she's no longer Chester Brown. It affected me, not negatively. I didn't lose sleep. I didn't think about it for more than an hour. But there's something about, we, we go... It's like, if you have a naughty child, you don't change his name, you change the culture around it. Don't, don't run around changing names. I did, by the way, we changed our name, but we waited some time. Change is going to be difficult in the church. Change will be different, difficult in your families. Go and get married. That's a great change. Who's got an easy married life? Why didn't Glenn put his hand up? <laughs> Because uh, he's so busy hugging you. Okay, so Glenn, Glenn was told to put his hand up. Was that a secret sign that you're in distress? I think, yes, I saw that. 
Who's happy that they're married? Whew, saved. Saved there. <laughs> Marriage changes your life radically. Are you happy that you're married? Absolutely. Does it take work? Of course. When you bring change into a church, and this is what sometimes, if you're just attending a church, and you go, you know what we should change here? Just for fun, let's just put the, I've had this request. Let's all have the chairs facing the opposite direction just for something fun. Honestly, a person came and said that to me. I said, and, and what do I do with the stage? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But it's just cables. Yes, and about four tons of steel holding it up. Oh, uh, but let's do something different. So I said, well, why don't you go and evangelize and get someone saved? That would be a radical change to your normal life. They're still in the church, don't worry. <laughs> I, for me, I, I love the fact that we get to do this. And when you're in church, you can't choose who's going to join your church. We, we have our, you know, when you're in a church... You, you open up, you have what you call a DNA over here and vision and values and uh, we, we, everyone's got a cool name. Then people attend and then they assess you. Do we want to come to this church? We, we do our best. I lead it when I do it and I try to convince them not to join. I, and I say to them, I said, I'm going to try work you to death. I'm going to have unreasonable expectations. This is not where you're going to come and rest. You want Selah rest? You wait until you're very, very old. The, and I, the more I try to convince them not to join, they're like, we'll be there. No, we're going to make you work. No, you're going to attend life group. No, you're going to attend prayer meetings. You will listen when I preach. Oh, we can't wait. <laughs> See, we're getting to build something. And you're not going to choose who's going to sit next to you. You're not going to choose who your kids are friends with. You're not going to get to choose. <laughs> no, I can't do that, no. <laughs> if people want to leave, if people want to leave your life group, if people want to leave your friendship circle, if people want to leave your church, let them. Please let them. I've gone through the time and the energy and the effort to try to keep them. And all of a sudden, Every time they're upset, I've got to have a coffee with them. My kidneys are going, let them go. Because <laughs> people will come up to you, I'm not happy. Oh, which dwarf are you? <laughs> you look like, you look like grumpy. Tell me, you grumpy, which one are you? You're probably thinking, there's no way this guy's got more than 20 people in his church and schools, they're all family. <laughs> if people want to go, let them go. If you have to try and convince them to stay, you're going to have to perform to keep them. And you have been given a certain amount of people in your church that you need to double up on. You've got to double, minimum. Whatever you've got, you've got to double parable of the talents. You get one, he wants two. He gives you five, he wants ten. He gives the guy 20, ten, he wants twenty. Well, Jesus will build his church. No, no. He'll build his church, but he's the shepherd. He's not making more sheep. The sheep have got to make more sheep. We're the ones called to be on mission. 
So you've got to go and work. If you're going to spend all your time and energy on people that don't really want to be with you, they become a distraction. And sometimes people say, you know what, I'm, I'm not happy, I'm going to go. Bye. Pardon? Bye-bye. No, but you must pray us out. Lord, bless them. It's very difficult. And I'm not saying it flippantly for no reason. But the people that you have to try and earn, and you have to perform for, you start pimping yourself. Build with those that build with you. Now, honestly, if everyone leaves, you have a problem. If everyone says, there's a problem, there's a problem. Cast vision all the time. For your family, in your, with your wife, in your life group, can't be against the vision of the church. If you lead a church, if you lead a ministry, cast vision all the time. Where there's no vision, people perish. If you're having a problem casting vision, if you have a problem with vision, please deal with your sexual sin. You see, sexual sin kills our vision. Ask Samson. He couldn't stop looking at the girls. Eventually, he lost his eyes. See, what you look at, you'll focus on. What you focus on, you'll pursue. What you constantly pursue, you'll eventually worship. If you've lost vision, allow something of the Holy Spirit to cleanse you. Be holy even as he is holy. If you've lost vision, you're in trouble. You need to have a very clear-cut vision of where you're taking your family. You need to speak to them about it. You need a clear-cut vision for what you're doing in the life of the church. You need to know if, you, if you're submitting under another eldership team or you're on a team and you're submitting to another lead couple, you need to know their vision and you need to pursue that with everything in you. You see, when there's no vision, we get bored, we get distracted, and things get our attention. And we go off course. And to come back takes a lot of energy and a lot of effort because the Lord will then allow us to teach us the opportunity to teach us different things. I'll say it again. If you're battling with vision, please deal with your sexual sin. I know it's tough. It's a tough statement. But the areas in our lives that we have to deal with, and we have to make sure we've cleaned those things out. Because God will not allow us to go into certain ministries, into certain areas, while we've still got that toast. While we've still got that jam stuck in our lives. Whatever ministry you're in, never let anyone say, oh, when it's going well, oh, it's just the honeymoon phase. That's a lie. It's, no, no, no. It's not my bride, first of all, so there's no honeymoon. But I've gone into this ministry with real blinkers on because I'm focused on the king and his kingdom. And people are going to hurt me and abuse me and drop me and disappoint me, but it doesn't take away from the fact that he's called me to be on this mission. And every day is going to be phenomenal. Every day is going to be extraordinary. Everything I'm going to do is making an impact in a kingdom that cannot be shaken where the streets are paved with gold. It's extraordinary. Uh, I mentioned this early. Guys, you must all learn to preach. You go, well, I don't lead a church, but you've got to tell someone about Jesus. Can you present the gospel? Can, can, you, can you tell someone about Jesus? Can you learn how to? Learn how to tell people about Jesus. It's the most fundamental part of our lives to be able to 
tell someone about the goodness of our king, about the, the, the greatness of Jesus. If you're going to lead a church, you have to be able to preach well. And if you don't preach well, learn how to preach well. Well, I don't know how to do that. Get a book. It's, it's, it's these folding things made of processed wood. And it's got this ink on. And then you look at it and these words come to you. And then you learn. We, we, want to, we think we're going to know things naturally. No, no, no. Only weeds grow naturally. We have to put in time and effort and energy. You have to learn how to preach. Who's a good preacher here? None of you. Marcus, you're good. Henny, I've never fallen asleep. Carl, come on. Last one. I'm just, guys, when it comes to preaching, go and watch comedy shows, go and watch TED Talks, go and watch stuff that's interesting. Learn how to preach. Basics. Learn how to preach. Get a scripture, expound it. I'm not talking about how to exegete. I'm not talking about theology. You go and do some ETM studies. It's the NCMI Bible School. It's phenomenal. Get involved. I'm not talking about that. Learn how to preach, that you can captivate people's attention. Learn how to tell stories. Learn how to tell fables. Look, Jesus was an amazing storyteller. A very dear friend of mine who got born again. He never had a Bible. He had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. God spoke to him. He gets born again. So he travels for three years, planting hundreds of churches, having never read the Bible. He told the most phenomenal stories about Jesus, and people got saved. Not a single one was from the Bible. Blasphemy. No, no, no. He told about the goodness of God in stories that they could understand. He told modern-day parables, and he planted over a 1,000 churches in Mozambique. Now, I'm not saying you go, well, I don't have to read the Bible now because I'm just going to tell cool stories and there's a story about Archie and Jughead and then Jesus was there. No, that's nonsense. Read the word, but learn how to present it. Oh, no, I'm not going to come with anything. I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit work. No, 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 no. Prepare, prepare, prepare. The little boy, when there are 5,000 men and their families that were hungry, and the little boy offers up his lunch. He doesn't go, look, I've got some flour, a bit of salt, and some oil and water. Guys could make, probably make a bread, maybe even five loaves. I've got some fish hooks here. You guys can catch fish. No, he had done the preparation beforehand so he could come and present it, and Jesus took what he had, broke it, and used it. Prepare. Amen. Okay, let me wrap up with this. Do not be aware now, church. Not aware now, church. I haven't, I can't do that. When I got money, we'll do that. When I have another elder, I'll do that. When I have more visitors, I'll do that. When I've got a bigger building, I'll do that. You see, the thing is this. What I spoke about the church at the very beginning, we are the answer to the world's problems. We have the greatest news. It's called the gospel. We carry the answers in us. We carry healing power within us. The Holy Ghost is in us. We have the fire of God in us. If you're going to wait for something to first happen, what more must Jesus do for us to get the job done that he's called us to? When I lead a church, I learn how to preach. When I get married, then I learn how to be holy. When, no, now, now. No, no, when I earn more money, I'll tithe. No, now. When I've got plenty bucks, I'll be generous. No, now. Not then. You see, friends, we cannot walk into what, the, into what God has for us until he can trust us with what we already have. 
And you have gifts packed in you. Some a little bit tighter than others. So tightly wound, we need a crowbar to get it out. There's gifts hidden in you, and you're going, well, you're waiting for your gifts. No, no, they're in you already. But God wants you to start opening up what he's given you, and he wants you to start using what he's placed in you. No, when I, when they give me a chance. When I'm qualified. No, no. When you got saved, you got the whole package. Don't wait for a transition to suddenly get into a bit of theology. Don't wait to be an elder before you act like an elder. Not bossing people or trying to be that who you think an elder is. I'm talking about living a life beyond reproach. Representing the kingdom well. If you think that suddenly someone is going to ordain you and then everything gets easier, you are in for a wonderful surprise. You think if you're on somebody's team and then you step out and you're then doing your own thing, that it then gets easier? No. The guy leading your team has been blocking wind in front of you and that's been buffeting him for I don't know how long, you don't know how long. When you step out of that, you're going to catch that. Stop waiting for someone else to do something before you step up to what God has called you to. So you've got to deal with that spirit of fear. You have to deal with the spirit of fear. This is Joshua 1 verse 8, be strong and courageous. Why does God say that? Because he knew we'd be weak and scared. The Bible never tells us something that we'd naturally do. Love one another. Oh. Love everyone. Oh. Love the Lord your God. Oh, but that means I have to be obedient. I want to kind of love God, but on my terms. So he says, no, you're going to love me with all your heart, soul, your mind, your very being. Oh, that's difficult. So when he says, you have not, I've not given you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. What for? To get out there and to go and do what he's called you to do. I don't know if you're waiting for some supernatural sword to swing out of the sky and touch you on your shoulders. Go forth. <laughs> I'd boot myself. <laughs> Go into all the nations. You're waiting for a word? Go and read it. He's already said it. Who's a little bit nervous? Who's a bit nervous? Who's just too lazy to put up their hands? So just you blink twice at me. <laughs> uh, I'd like to pray for some people this evening. Some of you that have got a little bit of fear. Now this is the difficult one. This is like, okay, for all of you with broken shoulders, please raise both your arms. The, the problem is fear. So raising the arms is the challenge. If you're dealing with a bit of fear, if me suggesting this creates a bit of anxiety, this is aimed at you. I'm not praying against anxiety this evening. I'm praying if you've got a bit of fear when it comes to these things, whatever I've spoken about. So I'm going to list a few things. When it comes to, if you've got a bit of fear when it comes to being generous with money, perhaps there's something of, uh, you've seen people uh, either uh, abuse the financial system within the church or you, your parents 
have a legacy where they've been broke all their lives and you're a bit worried about finances. If that's you, I need you to stand. If, um, if, you, if the idea of having to share the gospel with someone, I need you to stand. If you've never led someone to Jesus, you have to stand. It's fear that's holding you back. And we're just going to stand in agreement as we pray for our friends. Because this is what we're trusting. Because where there's fear, we lose power, love, and a sound mind. So I want you to just to pray this over them. Lord God, I bless them. I bless them in Jesus' name. With power, love, and a sound mind. You will have no fear. You will no longer be nervous. I speak over you this evening. You are strong and courageous. You will no longer listen to the lies of the enemy. But the word of God speaks truth. And you are strong and courageous. In Jesus' name, amen. When I say to you, whatever God's given you, he's expecting you to double up on. That's the reality. The parables of Jesus, when he gives, when the master gives anything, he's expecting a return. When he returns, he's expecting a return. That's quite a, for me that's daunting. Because what happens is he's going to give me another 4,000 next month and he's going to want to see an 8,000 return. And after that he's going to give another 20,000 and he's going to see another 20,000 on top of that as a return. And it's going to go from finances and it's going to go to money and it's going to go, sorry, from finances to people and to ministries. And whatever he's laid on your heart, he's going to say, whatever I've given you, I I want you to double up. Are you happy with that? You see, that terrifies me on every level. Because growth means he wants more in the future. Whatever he's deposited, we need to transition into our next season. But if that kind of rattles you a little bit and you don't know what that's going to look like, can you just raise your hands? We're going to pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for every single person that needs to step into the doubling up, that needs to see a return, that needs to see a reality of the kingdom in their lives where whatever you've given them needs to be multiplied. Lord, I pray for grace and favor to see that happen. Lord, I pray for a release of grace and mercy so that the expectations that you have on us, we don't want to meet it for the sake of performance, but Lord, we know that we're on mission. So whatever that looks like, Lord God, I pray for every person has got a ministry that you've given them and there needs to be a greater release. I pray that be released. Lord, I pray for every person who's been given souls to to care for, whether it's a life group, Lord, a group of people within a ministry, a church, Lord God, I pray for the grace the gifting, the favor, so that they can step into the fullness of what you have destined for them. Lord, may we represent a kingdom that is not easily shaken and will not be shaken. May we represent that kingdom well. Lord, I pray over every youngster in this room, allow them to take territory that we only dream of. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us today. Remember to go to ncmi.net for more resources.